1: On one hill is the Israelites. On the other is the Philistines, the valley in between the Valley of Elah. This is where the battle between these two nations was set to take place. The valley is the intersection of where Israel has been. And in it is the thing standing in the way of their future. But in this situation, the Israelites were terribly afraid because they suspected that whoever went down into that valley wasn't coming out of it. To them, it was literally Death Valley. What's a bit ironic about this situation is that the Valley of Allah is an incredible piece of land for growing crops. In that region, the Valley of Allah is precisely the place where you would expect to see life springing up from the ground. And yet here it is, in this moment in history, being represented as the complete opposite. It's where things go to die. And this is often what our giants do to us. They put a mask of death over the land of life. They trick us into staying on our hills, staying in the past, always afraid of confronting the future. Today, we're going to explore what gave David the eyes to see and the courage to believe that when he stepped into that valley, he was not going to step into a valley of death, but instead into a land of life. Welcome to part two of Goliath must fall.
0: We are so glad you've chosen to join us today, and uh, we are continuing in this teaching series called Goliath Must Fall. If you're new with us as a guest, we want to welcome you in, and you haven't missed too much. We started this series last week, and so we're just kind of getting into the starting point of looking at some giants that we face in life, and we're making this parallel to David's experience of fighting a real-life giant uh, in the valley that Louis was talking about there just a moment ago. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to explore a little bit of this story. As we start out in verse eight, we're going to read verses eight through 11. Then I want to skip over to verse 24 and tie in a section together. So here's what we see. First Samuel chapter 17, start in verse eight. It says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's word, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now skip to verse 24. It says, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. If you will, pray with me. God, we know that fear is a reality of life, and there's things that we face constantly in our life that drive us to our knees because we are terrified and afraid, just like Saul and the Israelites were. And yet, God, we know today that you are standing as our champion fighting for us to help us see fear take a back seat in our life and to help us overcome this giant that's so real for so many of us. Will you teach us today how to do that, help your word to really sink into our hearts and to make an impact as we study it? And Father, as we look to move forward in our lives, will you give us faith? to move forward in freedom. We love you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, I don't know what keeps you awake at night when it comes to this idea of fear, but all of us have different things that if we're gonna be honest about ourselves or with ourselves, we would say, there are things that, that keep me awake at night that I struggle with, I wrestle with, that I'm fearful about. And when we think about these things, here's what I want us to see today. If you're taking notes and following along with us on our app, just write this at the very beginning. Fear is a giant we all face. Fear is a giant every one of us faces. And I know this to be universally true because the Bible over and over and over again tells us, don't be afraid, do not fear, have no fear. It might sometimes say, be strong and courageous instead of being fearful, be strong, be courageous, be bold. So we see this all the time over and over again, but fear is universally felt. You may fear something different than I fear, but we all have these things that well up inside of us. Maybe you fear not being able to, to pay your bills this month and going, I don't know how God's going to come through for me in this. I, I don't know where that money's going to come from. Maybe you fear being someone uh, or losing someone in your life that you're looking around and saying, I, I'm just afraid that this person's going to go away or I'm going to lose this person. We're in the middle of a, a pandemic. We have been for months and months and months now. And a lot of us, I know I've had conversations with so many people that that are fearful. I'm afraid I'm going to get sick. Or worse than that, I'm afraid that I'm going to do something to make someone else I love sick. And what if they don't recover? And there's just fear that takes a grip on our lives. Some of us, it's Valentine's Day today. Happy Valentine's Day. Some of us fear being alone for the rest of our lives. And going, what if God doesn't have that person for me? What if I'm going to be alone? Some of us fear the opposite thing. You look around and go, I'm going to be married to this person for the rest of my life. Anybody? No, don't raise your hands and don't nudge anybody sitting beside you either, okay? But some of us fear that kind of stuff. They were like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe you fear having children where you go, I'm going to mess this up. What if, I, what if I screw up my kids for the rest of their life? What if I do something wrong and they're a mess? And we live with these fears. And yet when we think about what scripture teaches us, we understand again, over and over and over again, that God says, do not fear. Have no fear. I haven't counted it personally for myself, but I've always heard and been told over and over again that there are 365 verses in Scripture that say, do not fear or something like it. That's one time for every day of the year. In other words, God intended for us to go, you know what? You're going to be fearful. I know that's going to be the reality, so I'm going to remind you, every day, don't fear. Don't be afraid. And this is where we find ourselves. And I want to tell you today that when we think about this idea of fear and this giant in our lives, the declaration that needs to be made in our hearts and in our life today is fear must fall from our lives. It can't have a place in our lives consistently. It needs to fall. And we need to be willing to ask Jesus to step into the role of champion in our life to put this giant to death. And so that's what we're gonna look at today. And I wanna make sure you hear this from the very beginning. I am not promising you today that you're going to walk away from here and go, man, that message just really hit home. I don't think I'm ever going to be afraid again. That thing that has been bothering me and I've been fearful of, that's been keeping me up at night and I've been wrestling with and those voices that I hear that keep telling me to be afraid after today, that's probably never going to happen again. Maybe God can do that, right? God could in this moment set you free from the thing that's been gripping your heart with fear and let you be free of that forever. But for some of us, Fear has been so ingrained in us and so interwoven in us, and it's been something that we have wrestled with and struggled with for so many years that it's going to take a process for God to set us free from this giant called fear. And so we're gonna talk about how to do that today. But first, I wanna look at the giant of fear. We talked about David and we read his story and this giant, this literal giant that David faced and the armies of Israel led by King Saul are under psychological attack. Uh, the, the, Goliath, the giant keeps coming out every day and attacking them through these psychological warfare. Goliath has set the terms for the battle. And we heard on one side of the valley, on one mountaintop or hilltop is the army of Israelites and the other side is the Philistines and their army. And yet Goliath marches down by himself into the valley every day and he calls for just one person to come and fight him. Now remember, Goliath is nine feet, nine inches tall. He's a big man and he's a champion. He's been killing people for years. And so when he calls for one person to come out and fight him and says, if they win, we'll be your servants. But if I win, you become our servants. That's gotta strike terror into the hearts of everyone, right? Saul, the king at the foremost part of that that he's afraid just like everyone else. And here's what I want you to see from this today. If you're taking notes, write this down, because Goliath does this and it's a tactic that works and your giant of fear does this. And if we don't know it, we'll miss out on how to overcome it. But here's what I want you to get. Fear wants to make you think you're all alone. That's what Goliath does. Hey, send one person down into this valley to fight me. You're all alone. And guess what? I'm bigger and stronger and a better warrior than you are. You're alone and you can't win. And what results is no one shows up for the battle. And fear does that in our life too. Fear will say to you, you're going through this all by yourself and I'm bigger than you are. No one is gonna stand with you. No one understands what you're going through. No one knows the, the battles that you face. You're all alone. Don't tell anybody because I'll kill you. Right? Like that's what fear says to us. You're alone in this battle. Nobody can be there for you. And fear will tell us over and over again, I'm bigger. That was Goliath's battle tactic was to isolate people. And it was working. Look at what it says in verse Samuel 17, 16. It says for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening. And he took his stand. Let me just ask you, does that sound familiar to anybody? That he would show up every morning and every evening, do you wake up in the morning and you hear that voice talking to you? It's going to be a long day. I've got a lot to make you afraid of today. And then you go through your day scared and then you get to bed at night and you hear that voice again. You're not going to sleep much tonight because I'm going to be right here again tomorrow morning. and I'm going to be waiting for you to wake up and I'm going to keep you down. Do you ever hear that? I can tell you that from my life, I've heard that voice uh, when we first moved here to Tennessee to come and be the pastor of Grace Fellowship Church, it was such an exciting time for me and my family. We love being here and being a part of a great church, a great body of believers in Jesus who are pursuing Jesus together and serving our community and making disciples and, and all of those things that we we're so excited. But after being here for about a month, I started hearing a voice. It wasn't audible, my wife wasn't hearing it. It was just me, but I heard it, right? And the voice every morning, when I would wake up, the first thoughts in my head, you made a mistake, you shouldn't be here, you're gonna mess this up. It was always the same three things. And then I could get going through my day and I could forget about the voice for the most part and I could do my thing and be busy. But then at night when I would lay down to go to sleep, the voice, turn off the light, you made a mistake, you shouldn't have come here, you're gonna mess this up. For months that took place. And I had this voice telling me over and over and over again, you shouldn't be here. This was a mistake. You're going to mess it up. And I lived with that. And I wonder if you ever hear a voice like that. Maybe your voice says something different to you, but here's what I want you to get. Giants are relentless. They don't take a day off. Goliath came out every single day for 40 days. Send somebody out to fight me. I'm right here. I'm standing here, I'm going to be here this morning and I'm going to be back again tonight and tomorrow morning I'm going to be back again. Goliath never took a day off. There was no Sabbath rest for the people of God in the middle of this. He didn't go, oh, it's your Sabbath. Well, I won't come out today. I'll give you guys a chance to rest and refresh and worship and and hear from God and be encouraged and emboldened. No, Goliath came out every single day for 40 days and 40 nights. And he said, I'm bigger than you and you can't beat me. And the people of God were living in fear. And Saul, the king, had been hearing the voice of Goliath every morning and every evening for 40 days, and it sent him to his tent in fear. That's where we find Saul most of the time in the story. He's in his tent, and he's hanging out there. In Saul's life, we get a picture of three different places where fear can be birthed in us that we need to be aware of and know. This is where fear comes from. When you think about worry, when you think about anxiety, when you think about depression, all of those things are symptoms of something you are afraid of. And so with Saul, he's got this giant that's yelling at him and his fear drives him to his tent. And so I want us to see these three root causes that birth fear in us. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's conditioning. And we don't know a lot about Saul's childhood, but this wasn't the first time that Saul had cowered to the giant of fear. Uh, One thing we do know from Saul uh, is that there was a time period where he uh, had someone in his life that just poured into him worry. And so conditioning for Saul, maybe he had a parent who always said to him, hey, listen, don't try anything dangerous. Don't get hurt. Don't go out and try something hard. You know, Always wear your helmet and you know, elbow pads and gloves and knee guards and, and bubble wrap everything and just be super, super careful. Okay, don't ever try anything dangerous or difficult. And for some level, that's a good thing as parents to tell our kids that, but we can't just be super, super cautious about everything, Right. And so maybe Saul had somebody in his life like that. We know Saul had someone who was a worrier in his life, and that worry caused fear to come in. And so here's a story we find from Saul in his young life. There's a day where uh, the family raises donkeys, and the donkeys escape, and they run away. And Saul's dad sends him and a friend after the donkeys. Go get them, Saul. You got to bring them back home. And so Saul and his companion, his friend, they go on this journey to try to find the donkeys. And after several days away, they don't find them. And Saul looks at his friend and says, hey, listen, we should just give up and go back home. My dad's gonna stop worrying about the donkeys and he's gonna start worrying about us. Saul knows his dad. He knows the condition of his dad's heart my dad's a worrier. He's going to be fearful that something's happened to us. Let's just give up on the pursuit of what our family does to make money, raising donkeys and taking care of these things. Let's just give that up and go home so dad doesn't worry. And his friend says, you know what? In the next town over, there's a prophet that's there. His name's Samuel. Let's go find him and ask him if he knows anything about the donkeys. Maybe he can give us something from God. And so they go into this next town. And when they walk in, Samuel sees Saul coming And God speaks to Samuel and says, this is the guy that I want to be king of the nation. And so Samuel talks to Saul. He tells him, God's going to make you king. He anoints him as king. And then he tells him about the donkeys. He said, they're fine. Your dad's got their back home already. You can go home in peace. Well, Samuel gives this amazing news to Saul. You're going to be king of Israel. If you got that news, what would you do? You tell everybody, right? Saul doesn't Saul's a warrior and he's fearful and he goes home and he's like his dad and he doesn't say anything to anybody. And so finally Samuel calls the whole nation of Israel together and says this is when we're going to anoint our king, we're going to make him known to everybody in the nation. And they call him out and Samuel starts bringing people by one tribe at a time, then a family, and then he chooses Saul's family and then he says and Saul is going to be king and everybody starts looking around, clapping and cheering for Saul and looks and goes Saul's nowhere to be found. (laughs) Where's Saul? And Saul, it's discovered, is hiding with the luggage. Everybody that had brought their luggage carts to this gathering, Saul's hiding in the luggage. And they have to pull him out in front of everybody. Saul is afraid and he's hiding. And we see this again with Goliath. When he's gonna be anointed king, he hides himself. And when Goliath taunts the nation, he is the king, he hides himself. And he's worried and he's fearful. And so something in Saul's past that conditioned him to avoid the big moment, fear pushed him back. And our conditioning can do that as well. Maybe you had some of that same thing said to you, play it safe, don't take a risk, keep people at arm's length, always avoid conflict. And if we're conditioned to do that, maybe it's the environment you grew up in, maybe it's something that happened to you along the way that you've learned through the hard knocks of life, man, it's better just to stay in my tent. It's better just to isolate myself and keep away from everybody. And you live in fear. And so that's Saul. Here's the second area that we can find fear is birthed in us. It's from concealing. Much later in Saul's life, when you get to 1 Samuel chapter 28, he's an older man now. Samuel the prophet has died. Saul has had the spirit of God removed from him because of sin in his life and he's all alone. And it says, once again, he's at war with the Philistines and he looks out at the army of the Philistines and Saul is terrified. He doesn't know if they're going to win or not. Samuel can't give him a prophecy about the battle. God isn't speaking to him anymore because the Spirit's been removed from him. And Saul is terrified of the army that he sees in front of him. So he does something that's illegal, something he made illegal. As king, Saul had said that spiritists and mediums no longer had a place in Israel. But now, in this moment, he waits until night, he puts on a costume, something to disguise himself. He conceals his identity, and in the concealment of night, he goes and he finds a medium who can speak to him, and he asks her, tell me what's gonna happen in the battle. And she finds out that it is Saul who's there. Saul can't keep his identity hidden. And for us, when we think about the giant in our life of concealing things, we can easily find this to be true in our life, that we keep hidden all of the faults that we have that we want to keep our sin buried. We don't want anybody to think there's a problem in our lives. We want to make sure that from the outside perspective, looking in my life is perfect and crystal clear and there's no issues and no problems. And so we will conceal. And here's what fear does to us. Fear holds power over us the longer we stay hidden in darkness. That's where fear wants us to live. Fear wants you to stay away from people. Fear doesn't want you to bring out what's going on in your life and find help for it. Fear wants to keep you in the dark. Here's something that I want you to to see on your notes. Fear causes us to conceal what we're feeling and struggling with so we won't get the help that we need to overcome the giant. So if you find yourself in this place where you live this life of just going, nobody needs to know what I struggle with and what I wrestle with and where I'm having a hard time, I'm going to conceal it and keep it to me. I'm going to fight this giant alone. That's exactly where the giant wants you to be. Here's the third thing. The third area that births these giants of fear in our life is control. That we want to control everything that's where Saul finds himself. When David comes into the camp and he hears Goliath taunting the armies of Israel, it sets a fire ablaze inside of David going, he is talking about my God and my king, and I am not going to stand for it. That Goliath guy is making a mockery of the nation of Israel and the armies of the God of Israel. And I'm going to go fight him. And so he goes to Saul and he says, I'll fight. I'll go. Somebody needs to, you need a champion. I'll go. And what's Saul's immediate response? He tries to control the situation. He says, No, you you can't go. Did you see that guy? He's been a champion since his youth, and you're just a boy. You can't be the one. I'll control who gets to go and fight. And so David says, but listen, I want you to know, I've I've killed a bear and I've killed a lion with my bare hands, by the way. I'm a shepherd. And when they came and attacked my sheep, I took them out. God gave me the power to do that. God saw over me that he would let me have victory over those things. And I will make this Goliath giant just like that bear and like that lion. And so Saul finally looks around and goes, well, you know what? Nobody else is stepping forward. Nobody else is going to fight. So I guess we'll let you go, but I'm a control freak. So here's what we're going to do, David. You're going to wear my armor. I want you to put on my helmet. I want you to put on my tunic. I want you to wear my chainmail. I want you to carry my sword and you're going to go out dressed for battle in my stuff. Now that seems like a really cool thing for the king to give up his stuff for David. But here's the problem. Here's what we know about Saul from earlier in his life. We're told that when he's anointed king of Israel, Saul is a head taller than everybody else in Israel. He's a big guy in his own right. And then we find out with David, when he comes in, he's a boy. He may be in his teen years or his early 20s. He's he's just a young guy. And so this big, tall Saul, who's a head taller than everybody else in Israel, says, here, wear my stuff. Here's, here's the helmet that's not going to fit. Can you imagine that helmet tottering around on David's head and in his eyes? And here's my tunic and my, my stuff, and it's down to his feet, and he can't move around. And here's my sword. And oh, by the way, David, carry this around. David's a young guy, and he can't fit in all this stuff. Did anybody have an older brother or an older cousin or a sister that gave you hand-me-downs as a kid? And some of it was great, but some of it you just went, I can't wear this stuff. They will beat the crap out of me at school if I wear this stuff. I like my arms, it hangs down and it's all down to my knees. And the pants that I've got on are under my shoes and they're wet, and, and I have to roll them up fifteen times to fit. And I, I look stupid. I've been there. Maybe you have. Maybe you were too cool for that. I don't know about you. David's in this moment going, "Look, I I can't wear this stuff. It's not right. It's not right." And so he takes it all off, and Saul loses control. And he just has to send David out. And I can tell you for me that if you ever feel like this, where you feel like you have to be in control of everything, and I get that way sometimes, I have these perfectionist tendencies and I want everyone to do things my way. But here's what I would tell you, trying to control everything and everyone is exhausting. Man, I've been there. It's tiring. Hey, if you're taking notes this morning, write this down. When you are a controller, You fear all you can't control. If you're a control freak, guess what you're afraid of? Everything that's outside of your hands because you can't control it. I got to a place this summer where several of my close friends were going through some really difficult things in their marriage, where I knew people who were struggling financially with stuff, where I knew that there were people who were having a hard time with sickness, and my initial inclination was, let me fix that. Man, let me help you get your marriage back together. Let me tell you what I would do. Here's what you need to do. Here's the steps you should take. Hey, you're struggling financially. Well, Let me give you all the different ways you can get your finances in order. Let me, let me help you and fix this. You're sick. I can't do anything about that. But I would love to. I want to. I want to control all your stuff, right? And I got to a place this summer where I was filled with anxiety and worry and stress because I didn't have any control of all the stuff that was going on around me. And so a friend of mine actually gave me a really great tool. He gave me an app to use called the One Minute Pause. And I started using this app. And what it does is twice a day, it reminds you to just take a pause. Stop for a minute, three minutes, five minutes, or 10 minutes, whatever you need to do, but take a break and let the word of God filter into your life and have some things that you say to God that just shares where you are. And this app over and over and over again repeated the same thing. It would say, God, I give everything and everyone to you. I give everyone and everything to you, Jesus. I give it all to you. And then it would say, now you say that. (laughs) I give everyone and everything to you, Jesus. Jesus, I give you everything and everyone. And I have to tell you, after doing that for a couple of months, I finally started believing it. <laughs> Jesus, I, I got to take my hands off. You, this is for you. I can't control this stuff. I don't even want to anymore. I thought I did, but this is a mess. Man, I'm a wreck. So I give you everything. I give you everyone. That was a weird one for me. Jesus, I give you everyone. Everyone I'm trying to control, their lives, I just gotta give them to you. And there's so much freedom in that. And so when we identify the root causes of our fear, if you're facing worry or anxiety or you're disheartened about something, fear is the culprit behind all those emotions and feelings. They all lead to this deeper place of a giant called fear. And so how then do we overcome fear? Well, here's the antidote if you're writing some things down. The antidote for fear, is faith. That's how we overcome this giant. Louis writes in his book, Goliath Must Fall, the opposite of fear is not being bold and courageous. The opposite of fear is faith, right? If in faith we lean into Jesus and we keep reminding ourselves that God is bigger than our giants, We have to remind ourselves of that. We said this last week. I'm gonna repeat it today just so you hear it again or if you missed it last week that you get the sense of what we're talking about. You and I in the story of David and Goliath are not David. We think of ourselves sometimes that way. I'm David, there's a giant in front of me. I'll go charge the battlefield and take out the giant. We are not David. Jesus is David. We need to invite Jesus into our reality to fight our giants for us. We need to have faith that God is bigger than our giants. This is what David did so well. David kept saying, the Lord's going to rescue us. He said that to Saul, the Lord will rescue us. Then he went out and he stood in front of Goliath and goes, the Lord's going to give you into my hands. Then he looked past Goliath and went, all you armies back there, you Philistine armies, the Lord's going to give you into our hands too. Like David is so confident in the power of God to overcome that he just keeps saying over and over again, the battle's the Lord's. This is coming down to you and me, David and Goliath, but it's really Jesus. He's coming in here. He's gonna step in. The battle is the Lord. The Lord is gonna give you into my hands. This is where we find hope against this giant of fear. We live in faith. That's the antidote. And so for us, as we start to close some things up this morning, I want us to look at four different things that will give us ways to combat the giant of fear and invite Jesus into our situation. So what do you do when you hear the voice of the giant of fear over and over and over again coming against you? Here's, here's the four things. Number one, remind myself God is able. That's what we have to do. We have to remind ourselves that God is able. If the giant of fear has gripped you for a long time and you've kind of worked yourself up into a mess over years of time, it may take some time to ultimately see the giant fall. This may not for you be like a, man, what a great message today, I'm probably never gonna be afraid again. (laughs) Or that thing that I've been fearful of for such a long time, it's just released from me today. Maybe that will be true of you. But it also may be a process that you go through. And so the first step of the process is confession. That we would say, Jesus, if you're gonna set me free, if you're able to do this, here's what I need to confess, I need you in my life. So Jesus, I confess, I can't do this on my own. I need you. I confess that I've tried, and I'm not powerful enough to overcome this giant. I need you, Jesus. The second thing God gives to us to fight this giant after confession is community. That he goes, listen, I want you to be part of the church. And I want you to find a group of people that you can let into your life so that you can find help and hope in the middle of all these things. We need to get some people around us that we can talk openly to about what we struggle with. This is where I found some victory over this giant that kept talking to me all those years ago. They would say, you're not good enough. You shouldn't have come here. You're gonna make a mess of this. I went to a conference several months after we came to this church. A few guys from our staff went to a conference. And at the end of the conference, there was this exercise that we were doing in our small group And they just said, what do you think God wants you to take away from this weekend? And of all the stuff we talked about, I knew I listened to everybody go around the room and talk about what God wanted to do in their lives. And I just sat there and at the very end when it came to my time, I just started crying. And I just looked at the guy that was leading, I said, I don't wanna do this. I don't wanna wanna play this game, I don't like this one. (laughs) Because here's what I think God wants me to say. I've been hearing a voice, a demonic voice, that's been telling me I can't, and I'm not good enough, and I'm gonna mess this up, and I shouldn't have come here. And that voice has been talking in my ear for months. And nobody knows. And I've been fighting this giant by myself. And let me tell you what happened. As I cried in the middle of that room, I found freedom over that thing. And when I left that place, I never heard that voice again. Not one time since have I woken up and heard, you're not good enough. You shouldn't have come here. You're gonna make a mess of this. I don't go to sleep at night and hear that voice anymore because I brought it out into the light. And I think that's where we need to be as people who follow Christ, is that if you've got some things in your life that you're struggling with, that you're wrestling with, a giant that's yelling at you and trying to keep you down, you need to bring it out. And here's what I would tell you. If you're in a small group with someone who does that, who's brave enough and bold enough to take that step and go, here's what I've been facing. Here's where I have some sin. Here's where there's some things in my life. Here's the voices that I'm listening to and that have been yelling and shouting me down for the last several months. And I just need to tell you guys about it. Please, church, let me listen to, listen to me in this. Do not, when they share that, try to fix them. Don't do it. Your job, when someone's brave enough to say, this is where I hurt, this is what I hear, this is where I struggle, is to love them. And it's to walk with them, and it's to pray for them, and it's to come alongside of them, and say, we're here for you for whatever you need. If you step in and say, we'll try to fix this for you, you just become another version of the giant in their life. So you just lovingly walk with them through it. You be an ear to listen, you be a trusted counselor to pray. And you point them to scripture and to Jesus. That's our job. All right. So that's number one. Here's number two. We're going to go through these quickly. Number two, keep my focus consistently on Jesus. How do I see this giant fall in my life? Keep my focus consistently on Jesus. Our gaze needs to be fixed on Jesus because whatever we're fixated on, we focus on. Right? And so if I fixate on this giant of fear, this thing in my life that causes fear and worry and dread and anxiety, if I just watch it all the time, that's where my mind goes constantly. I need to fix my eyes on Jesus. My focus needs to be there. David, the one who took down Goliath, he wrote this in Psalm sixteen eight: I keep my eyes always on the Lord with him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. That's our approach. Man, keep your eyes on Jesus. In the New Testament, it says, fix our eyes on him who's the author and the perfecter of our faith, right? Again, because faith is what overcomes fear. So keep your eyes focused on Jesus. That's where it belongs. If all you ever think about are the negative things that can happen or the challenging things you face, you never have time to fix your eyes on the glory and the majesty of Jesus, and he's the giant killer. Here's number three. Name the thing that keeps you up at night, right? Name it. This thing that makes you anxious and stressed, it's there for a reason. So identify it, call it by name, and then give it to Jesus. Say, okay, all I've known for a while is that I'm afraid. I didn't even dare to do the the deeper look inside to figure out what I'm afraid of, but here's where I have fear. Here's where I have anxiety, worry, struggle. Now I'm gonna name that thing, and then Jesus, I'm giving it to you because I can't keep going against this. I need you to step in. Louis says this in his book, and I love it. He says, we don't minimize the situation. We maximize our view of the only one who we can totally trust. We don't simply deny the problem we're we're threatened by. We relocate it to the hands of the only one who can manage it well. And we leave it there as we close our eyes to sleep, right? And then here's number four. How do I overcome this giant of fear? I fill my mouth with praise, And this is so important for us to understand. We want to fill our mouths with praise. So here's what Louis says in his book. If faith is the antidote to fear, then the soundtrack to faith is worship. This is where we need to find ourselves in constant worship to God. And so in the New Testament, if we want to fight this battle, we think about James. If we want to see the giant of of fear fall, We say, man, I want to worship God. Worry and worship can't occupy the same space. Here's what James writes in James 3, 9 through 11. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? And so James is telling us, look, in one breath, we're praising God. In the next breath, we're turning around and saying something cruel about people. We're we're cursing people. He goes, listen, if you want to get rid of this thing where you're constantly wrestling with worry and, and if you're calling out people for things, he goes, put worship in your mouth. Because you can say worship in one hand and cursing out of the other, but not at the same time. So put worship in there, consistently keep worship there so you're saying the things to God that, re, that constantly bring us back to a place where we're dependent on him. When we bring worship, we bring the presence and the power of God into our circumstances. And then here's where I want us to close. When David ran to the battle against Goliath, he didn't go running out and go, hey, listen, big man, I'm David, I'm from Bethlehem, you've made me mad and I just want you to know that because of who I am, you're going down today. David doesn't do that. David is a worshiper and he's a songwriter. He's written, he wrote a lot of the book of Psalms that we prayed over this morning and that we sing out hymns and choruses from. He's a worshiper, he runs out and he goes, you come against me with javelin and spear and sword, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. David brings worship to the battlefield. He doesn't invoke his name. I'm David and you're going down. He goes, I'm here under the authority of the Lord God of Israel. And because of him, you're going down. And for us, that same thing can be true. When you stand and you face giants like this, you bring worship to it. So read scripture aloud. Sing at the top of your lungs. Pray with fervor keep the name of Jesus on your lips. Jesus is bigger than your giants. And with him fighting for you, they must fall. Fear must fall. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you were challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person. If you live in the Tri-Cities area, we meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.